Welcome to another edition of the Super Flight Podcast, your Stan Lee NBA podcast, because comic book artists like Stan Lee don't get nearly enough credit. I mean, he did, but most don't uh, as artists. And, you know, uh, one day I aspire to be as inspiring as Stan Lee was. So um, hats off to Stan Lee and his amazing career. He passed today at the age of 95, and I think all of us are a little bit sad about uh, his passing because he's brought so much joy to so many people, whether you're a fan of Spider-Man or Black Panther, or The Incredible Hulk, who was always my favorite growing up. Spider-Man and the Incredible Hulk, whatever. Uh, he created those guys, and he was just a tremendous, seemingly tremendous person. And, you know, the Marvel films without him are not going to be the same because he always did those lovely little cameos in every one of them. And I'm a big fan of the Marvel movies, and I'm a big fan of comic books. Uh, it's the reason I got into, you know, artwork to begin with. It's the reason I became an artist was uh, people like Stanley. I just wanted to draw comic books, and I just wanted to draw, and I wanted to be... Like Stan Lee and like Todd McFarlane and, you know, I want to be like those guys. So it's a sad day, uh, sad passing. But, you know, the, the you know what, I'll, I'll speak a little bit about it. But before I get into that, uh, you can reach the show by uh, tweeting at me at Joe Borelli. You can reach Superflight at Superflight Pod. You can tweet at uh, or you can email me at uh, the Superflight Podcast at gmail.com. Follow along in SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Music, Apple, blah, 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 all that stuff. Uh, if you go to Apple, please rate and review. Although I literally looked and I haven't had a new review or rating or anything for a, literally a year. So get on it, guys. I'm waiting for you. I'll read it. I swear to God, just send me something. Um, I know I'm not the most popular guy in the world, but I do appreciate all of you who are the uh, really devoted fan base or not fan base i don't want to call you fans friends the really devoted friends that i have out there who like to interact with me on in the podcast um so thanks i appreciate you so reach out uh i have a couple people who actually you know dm me directly feel free feel free to dm me on on itunes or on itunes on uh, twitter i'm happy to talk to you about basketball or whatever uh i i I get interested in talking to people about their lives and what's going on with them. Sorry if I don't respond right away. I have a very busy life. Um, but yeah, I get back to you as soon as I can. So thanks to everybody who does reach out and says hi. And uh, yeah, man, keep them coming. But speaking of Stan Lee, man, like, uh, you know, I, I think the thing is like, you know, what I was saying is everyone, we're human. We're going to pass. It happens. And we've all been touched by this. But I think the most important thing is to leave a legacy of, of positivity. For me, anyways, this is what I really want my life to be about. I really want to reach people in a positive way, somehow, some way. If it's through this stupid podcast, fine. I doubt it will be because I'm just talking about basketball. But if it if it's something else, then hopefully that'll be the thing. Maybe my artwork will someday just hit and maybe my music will hit and like whatever. But the thing is, Stan Lee was one of those people that just, whether he intended to or not, reached a whole lot of people with uh, a really nice message of, of hope and inclusion and just fun, man, like fun and like creating these characters that you could superimpose your own being into and feel like you were bigger and, and stronger and faster and better than, and, and more morally correct than the next guy. I don't know. Or just part of a, a club, you know, cause really those, there's all those who superheroes are just uh they're outcasts and it's really appealing to a lot of kids especially kids like me anyway um that's all sad day sorry to see uh stanley passed um 
You know, it makes me think. I come. I collected comic books for way, way, way too long into my adult life. I mean, I mean, you know what? That's that that sounds silly because I know there are people out there that still collect comic books, and there's nothing wrong with that. And like, kudos to you guys. I still once in a while stop into a comic book store and check things out, and I, I feel like I'm so far behind. I feel like a lot of major themes happened in the '90s, and the movies you see today are still happening from those themes. Um, the '90s was like the golden age of comic books, man. But I collected in the 90s when I was, you know, late teens and early 20s. I I had so many comic books. Me and a friend of mine, Dave, used to go every week and we would drop as much money as we could on comic books. And it was the stupidest thing. Like I worked a full time job. I was, you know, I had a job and I had an apartment and I just still I mean, again, not stupid. It's not stupid. I'm not I'm not demeaning anybody or, or discounting your your interest. If you're into comic books, that's awesome. Uh, I know people who are still really into comic books and draw them and, and would someday like to get signed by a comic book place. Um, whatever. I, I don't know what the fuck I'm saying. Anyway, but we 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 had this huge collection. He had this giant fish tank that was empty. Uh, and we just used to throw all his com- our, all our comic books in there. Like there was, half of it was his, half of it was mine. Uh, over months, we collected like a ton of comic books. Um, and there was some real, real... Uh, keepers in there. I think there was this one. Um, it was a Tom McFarlane's The Amazing Spider-Man, where uh, it was at a point when Spider-Man got all his cosmic powers. I forget how this happened. He had a fight with the Hulk, and the Hulk was trying to scare a child away because he didn't want him to get injured. So he was thinking to himself in the thought bubble, he's like, I'm just going to scare him. But Spider-Man thought he was going after the kid. So Spider-Man flew over and hit him so hard that he knocked him in outer space. And the Hulk's flying around and, you know, hanging out in outer space and thinking, man, this is how I'm going to die because I'm either going to freeze to death or I'm going to pop or I'm going to, well, when I turn back into David Banner or Bruce Banner, Bruce Banner, uh, I'm going to explode or freeze or both simultaneously. And then Spider-Man felt bad and he flew because he could fly at that point when he had his cosmic powers. He flew up, grabbed the Hulk and brought him back down. Anyways, it was a very nice comic book. It was one of my favorites. When my friend Dave met his girlfriend who ultimately became his wife and the mother of his children, she decided to clean house and threw all of my fucking comic books away. I had some absolute collectors. I had first editions. I had the first edition of Spawn. Uh, I had first edition of, I think, the Rob Liefeld stuff. Although Rob Liefeld, not, I mean, ugh. Anyway, but uh, Youngblood, and I had first edition. I had a bunch of first editions from the 90s in that fucking tank, and she threw all my shit away. And I'm really still pissed about this. Really, really pissed about it. Um, anyway, that's that's my story for this week. Keep your comic books close, folks. Don't let them get away from you. They're joys and they're treasures. Um, no, really, but I did honestly go into... I started out uh, in my college days as... I wanted to be a, a graphic designer and, a, and an artist, a comic book artist. I really wanted to draw my comics for my livelihood. And that's what I wanted to do. Somewhere along the way... I let people convince me that fine art is more important and it has a more impactful meaning and uh, it can do more to change the world and all these grandiose ideas and blah, 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 bullshit. I became a fine artist. Um, I now don't make anything, although I probably should, but last thing I made, ironically, were uh, some giant pink foam muscle men. So you can probably still find them online if you want. 
But anyway, that's my spiel for the day. Now you know way more about me than I know about you. So hit me up. Say hi. Anyway, coming up, James Herbert joins me to talk about the Sixers. Of course, I do a, you know, not that great of a job. Um, but James is always great. And uh, it's fun. It's fun. You'll enjoy it. I have a lot of thoughts. I get a little verklempt uh, when I talk about Covington. And uh, it's good. So hang around. And after this brief musical interlude, we'll be right back. <laughs> James Herbert, what's happening? <laughs> oh, you know, not too much. How are you? I'm good. I was just sitting here making beatbox, noise, beatbox noises into the microphone while I was waiting for you to sign on. So everything is peachy. Are you going to keep doing them for the listening audience? No, <laughs> not particularly great at it. Uh, I liked it. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Even if you're lying, I still appreciate it. This I genuinely is... liked it. Oh, thank you. Wow. <laughs> That's, good. That's crazy. If you like that, I can play some Iron Maiden on the guitar for you later. Um, James, what, yeah. what's what's happening? How are you? How, how's things been the last few days since Saturday? Um, last night, I went to one of the worst basketball games I've ever seen. The first quarter of the Knicks game, uh, the Knicks scored 10 points. They had eight turnovers. They didn't hit a three. They didn't hit a free throw. They didn't record an assist in the entire quarter. Um, and then it just, you know, went on from there. <laughs> uh, it was against the Magic, who did not have Aaron Gordon in the lineup, did not have Jonathan Isaac in the lineup. And yet, uh, one of the more lopsided games that that I've ever seen. What what has happened to the Nets, man? They started out this season like so no, much. The Knicks. Fun. Oh, sorry, the, the Knicks. Knicks. Sorry, well, I can't even remember what team it is. The Knicks. <laughs> sorry, I'm so just out on obviously. Um, what happened, man? They started out so fun, and all of a sudden they're just like imploding. I mean, I guess that's the point, right? You want to tank as hard as you can to get that Zion. Is it Zion Williamson? Uh, pick? Yeah. 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 And, or R.J. Barrett, if you prefer. Okay. Um, They've got some stiff competition with Cleveland, though, so I don't know, man. <laughs> I think they're uh, – are they tanking already? Is it is it really like the tank is on this early in the season? I came so close to tweeting um, the, the tank was strong on military appreciation night last night. I didn't do it. Um, <laughs> you missed a great I mean, the organization would say they're not tanking. Fizdale would say they're not tanking. I, I didn't think last night was because they like weren't playing hard. Uh, the talent isn't there. They don't have guys that can really play make for others. They don't really have any good passers on the team. The defense is a mess. They, they're playing two bigs all the time. The three-point shooting is terrible. Uh, I mean, Chris Dabbs would fix some of these problems, um, but not all of them. Courtney Lee hasn't played a single game, and he's one of the few like reliable veterans and shooters that they have. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's it's just sort of all gone to shit pretty quickly. I mean, Fisdale was basically explaining pregame. I'm writing something about this this week uh, for a column, but like he was explaining how he came in wanting to play super fast, wanting to take more threes. Like These are the things that he would do ideally, but he's ended up having to sort of go with sort of a different style of play than he would prefer because he wants to play to these players' strengths and he just doesn't have 
shooters. He had a team that was playing really disorganized basketball when they were trying to push the pace. So he's had to slow it down and try to make them more deliberate so they can actually get good shots. But mm-hmm. they just they have to work so damn hard for good shots. Right. And they they still don't get them very often. And defensively, I mean, they're they're trying to force turnovers and stuff like Fisdale wanted, but they're not that great at that. Uh, they foul a lot. Uh, a lot of the time, like I said this on a different pod, I, I did an actual Knicks pod earlier today, so I'm just talking about the Knicks all day. Um, <laughs> but um, a lot a lot of times it seems like their best offense is just missing shots and having Ennis Cantor down there to grab the offensive board. Like that, that is an effective strategy for them. They're one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the league. But like mm-hmm. they are not fun. They are not good. They are sort of tanking in the big picture way. Uh, but we already knew that. But I, I don't think it's the case that like – they're not trying like I mean there's less incentive to be the absolute worst team in the league this year um, because of the the changes to the lottery odds and I just I just think they're bad yeah that's fair well enough about the Knicks (laughs) enough for our 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 whatever wrap-up of the Knicks here um I was going to say weekly but I I did I I did 50 minutes on the Knicks earlier today on the long twos podcast so uh, I don't know the long twos podcast but there you go guys you got free advertisement there you go. <laughs> and everyone go check out James' uh, uh, article when it comes out. When are you putting it up? Later this week? Uh, there will be a column on Wednesday. It's not all about the Knicks. Like, I've been doing this, like, weekly column where I kind of hop around the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Knicks will be one of the one of the sections there. Fair enough. Very nice. Well, I'll just repeat what I said. It'll just be the same shit. But, yeah. Okay, good. Everybody go check it out um, on CBS Sports. James Herbert. Uh, that's your introduction because <laughs> we've been recording since I said hello. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> um, so really, the reason I brought you in on here is because, A, I love you, and B, I wanted to talk <laughs> about the Sixers. And you, as an honorary Sixers uh, fan, I think are a perfect person to talk to because I wanted to get Spike on. Spike never replies to me anymore. I wanted to get Max on, but Max is really hard to get in touch with. Um, but you, for whatever reason, seem to like me. So... <laughs> all these people are jerks they're all jerks i thank you for recognizing i appreciate it uh i owe you a burger anyway <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's talk about the sixers trade um did you see this coming so saturday i'm like i work tuesday through saturday uh, i i have to work every saturday it sucks but i'm off on monday so this is why i do the podcast now i'm at work on saturday and i'm diligently working like grinding away and all of a sudden I get all these notifications on my phone because like oddly enough I don't turn off my phone notifications when I'm at work I just try to act mm-hmm. like it's somebody's tweeting me or somebody's texting me about something important having to do with work I was like oh what is this um, my phone starts blowing up and you know my instant reaction was not Covington <laughs> not Covington because what, <laughs> what, did you expect this trade did you see it coming uh it didn't surprise me that the Sixers like got back in the mix because I, I mean, especially with the way they've started the season, mm-hmm. um, you just when, once you start thinking about the Sixers from a big picture perspective, it's like there was so much pressure on them to find that third star this coming summer, and you don't know if that's going to happen. They tried to do it last summer, it didn't work. Uh, it was just always going to be a risky game. So I think they always made sense as a team that could get back into it. Maybe they got more desperate because they didn't start that great. Uh, Maybe this was pretty much uh, how far they were going to go with their offer from the beginning, and it just finally got to a point where um, it it made sense for both sides. I'm not sure, but I do think everybody in in the entire league knew that Philly wanted to add that third star. They wanted it to be a wing guy. They wanted it to be another two-way player. Uh, So 
I wasn't shocked. I was surprised by the timing. I, I, I had no inclination that it was going to happen right then. Like I, I was about to go out and get some, get some brunch on, on Saturday. And then that didn't happen. Uh, not that I'm complaining. It's fine. Uh, but, <laughs> sure, sure. but yeah, like it was, it, it, when it initially happened, I think I had the same reaction as everyone. Like, holy shit, it actually happened. Yeah. Um, but I do think it was a logical outcome. Yeah. So just in case in case anybody doesn't know what the trade is by now, uh, the Sixers traded Robert Covington, Dario Sarge, Jared Bayless, and a 2022 second-round pick to Minnesota for Jimmy Butler and Justin Patton. And a quick aside uh, is that Justin Patton broke the fifth Marta Tarsal in, in either foot, in both foot, feet, foots, both feet. Foots. Yeah, both foots in individual years. So he's had two foot surgeries in, in consecutive years. I think he played an entirety of one game in the NBA so far, which means he was always. Has destined. he played a game? I think he played I didn't even one know he played game. A game. I think he played one game last year. Yeah. He played a bunch of G League games last year. Yeah. And I actually, I, I, I always liked him as a prospect. Mm-hmm. I, I, <laughs> I know his reputation is taking a hit because he still hasn't played a game in in, in the NBA. I could I uh, but it I said think... he played one game. I don't know. I, I'll, or sorry, not, he still no, hasn't no, played significant time in the NBA. Right, I right. believe you that he's played a game. Um, but I, I think as a Sixers fan yourself, you should really get him on the ground floor of like Justin Patton fandom. All right. Uh, because he's a, an, an enormous man who can shoot threes and actually has like – it's not like one of those like weird big men learning how to shoot threes mm-hmm. jump shots. Like his form is actually really good. He sort of shoots like a guard. Okay. Um, and then he can like protect the rim. He can block shots. Like there are questions about like whether or not he can like survive playing perimeter defense in the NBA, like playing pick and roll defense, switching on a smaller guys, blah, 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 just cause he's so damn big. And we don't know if he's ever going to be healthy regardless. Right. Um, but I-, I think he's an interesting prospect to just sort of get for free. Well, yeah, now it's a little weird because his option has been declined already. Oh. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I hope we see him one day play for the Sixers. They, they have a history of, um, of waiting guys out yes. when they're hurt. And, and uh, look, adding any sort of shooting big man to this team is, is is a good thing. I know this is what the people came for, for Justin Patton oh, totally, analysis. Totally, totally. Uh, I, mean, I don't even – I think we should talk about Jared Bayless. I think we should talk about the second-round pick. And we can get to Jimmy Butler later. All right, fine. That's fair. I was going to say having him – Break both feet. Feet. Damn it! I did it again. <laughs> it means that he was definitely foots. destined. Foots. Sorry, foots is the correct uh, pronunciation there. It means he was definitely going to become a Sixer at some point in his career, right? So there's that. Actually, and it sounds like he'd be a nice backup for Embiid if he gets healthy. And you know, this is a perfect place to do it. If he shows anything, the Sixers have shown that they are willing to be patient with their picks and with their their young guys and bring them along slowly. So maybe. Maybe that wasn't just a throw-in. Maybe they actually really saw something they liked in Justin Patton and wanted him and targeted him off that roster. Um, Maybe. Because, you know... In many ways, this trade signified the end of the, like, delayed gratification era of the Sixers. Like, they're all in on right now. But I do think the presence of Justin Patton, um, along with, you know, the presence of, like, injured rookie Zaire Smith, who I I like a lot. um, Yeah, we all do. There are still these sort of remnants of, like, old Sixers, like... Like th- that perspective of just waiting for for things to come together. Like you still yeah. still have that to hang on to as a Sixers fan, which is good. We'll always have the process <laughs> in some form or another. There there will always be the process. So what do you think of this trade? So, just on its face. By the way, yes, you're right. Um, I want to talk about the emotional impact of losing Dario and Covington in a little bit. We can talk about Jared Bayless then. And 
But what do you think about the trade just on its face for both teams? Like, do you think that it was a fair trade? Do you think that Minnesota gave up too much and didn't get enough in return? Did the Sixers give up too much by chance? Because I think Dario and, and Robert are both really underrated. Um, and I have thoughts about that too. But what do you think? On, on in face value, do you think it was a fair trade? I don't think I don't think the Sixers gave up too much. I think that yeah, they they sort of like sold low on Dario. Uh, he has not had the greatest start to the season. Uh, I think his his defensive limitations were they sort of came to the fore in the playoffs last year, and then that's again been an issue this year. But I think much more than that, like offensively, he has just mostly not been comfortable at all this year. I think that everybody has been talking about how like. Faults and Simmons have not been able to play well together how the offense has been like absolute dog shit when they've shared the court but I think one corollary of that is like Dario is a player who had already sacrificed a lot of his offensive game to fit in next to uh, Embiid and Simmons he's a guy that can facilitate a lot of offense he's a he's a great passer. Uh, he, that's where I think he like gets his energy from Mm -hmm. as a basketball player is being able to make plays with the ball. And like when he'd, he'd already sacrificed some of that, asking him to do even more of that with faults on the court and just like not even be able to touch the ball for, for long stretches. I think that really hurt him. They still play a a style where the ball moves and it's about sharing the ball, but I just don't think he could ever find his rhythm. His shot was off all year. Uh, so I, I think you're sort of selling low. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, whoever was going to trade for Dario, if, if they were to trade him for any any star, I was going to have to commit to paying him pretty significant money uh, on, on a long-term deal after his rookie contract is over. And I'm not sure the Sixers were like super thrilled about that. So uh, from their perspective, not trading a first-round pick, not having to trade uh, a high upside guy in Zaire Smith, um, not oh, trading faults. Not, not uh, like honestly, Shamit does have value based on yeah. based on how he's played this year. I think it is it is good that they did not trade him. He's one of the few players on the team that can shoot. Um, so I, I like him in in that system in particular. Uh, I think I think overall that's a win um, uh, from the Timberwolves' perspective. I I get it. Like I know Thibodeau wants to compete this year and try to save his job, and he got two like above average starters in my opinion. One of the better. Uh, wing defenders in the NBA in Covington who's actually sure. is one of the best point guard defenders in the NBA too, despite the fact he's like six, eight, six, nine. Um, and then Dario, I think like his fit offensively there will be really interesting. So I, I like the, I kind of like the fit, but I just, I, I'm still sort of stunned that that's all they got. Uh, I, I don't think that the organization handled this well at all. I think based oh. on, if you go and read the, the Athletic published a piece today. I think it was the. I think it had uh, Shams Charania and John Kaczynski's bylines on it, and then it also had like Sam Amick as a contributor at the bottom. But like, they have like a huge, long, detailed piece that goes like day by day through the Jimmy Butler saga, um, basically from the end of last season until this weekend, and. There's definitely new information there. There's some stuff that hadn't been reported, for example, um, stuff about uh, the the three offers that they were choosing from at the end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think even the stuff that we knew about, just seeing it all laid bare in chronological order, it's kind of amazing Like to, to just sit there and look at everything that happened in the saga. And, and it really gives you a good sense of how the Wolves bungled this. Right. Because I think they could have gotten a lot more for Butler if they traded him in the summer. Definitely. And then... Also, like, I don't know how you feel about Josh Richardson, but I, the second that he was made available by Miami, 
I think that should have been the deal that got done. Totally. Uh, I really like Josh it, Richardson. Go ahead. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's hard for me if I was a Wolves fan and I, I had to watch this sort of circus for the first few weeks of the season uh, and the franchise basically being embarrassed. Um, maybe you can forgive that and forget that and take the long view and say, well, these, these players are, are going to help us and be a part of the team for a long time. And they were beloved in Philadelphia. They'll be beloved here too. Like, I, I can get down with that, but the one thing that would really bother me as a Wolves fan is that they could have got Josh Richardson and they didn't because I think to to get a guy like that on a cost-controlled contract that is very, very clearly a bargain, uh, that is a two-way player that fits perfectly uh, between Wiggins and Towns, that has shown way more this year as a playmaker than ever before, mm-hmm. uh, it, it just... it. It was exactly what you should have been looking for. So I, I would just be kind of bummed that that didn't get done and that the Heat took that offer off the table. Uh, but at the same time, I guess if I was a Wolves fan, I'd be happy that it's over. Well, I'll say uh, so, boy, there's a lot to unpack. Uh, <laughs> there's there's a lot to unpack with this whole freaking thing. But I'll say this about Dario. You're right. You're absolutely correct in that he needs the ball, I think, more in his hands. Point Dario should be a real thing. Um, in order to be effective. And I think he's he's a phenomenal passer. He's never really had the ability or never had the opportunity to showcase that so much with his fit with Ben being so awkward. Um, they sort of overlap and do sort of very similar things. But, you know, of course, Ben is the supreme talent there. Um, and Dario's a little slow foot. He doesn't give you much on defense. But, like, ball creation, like creating-wise, uh, he's spectacular. And I think Tibbs kind of has to go from from um, the Timberwolves in order to get the most out of Dario. I think they need a better coach. Who's going to, who's going to maximize his skill sets. But I think honestly, the, the, the package that you got back with Dario and, and Covington is not bad, man. Like, you know, you got two really, really solid starters. there, great locker room guys, the antithesis of what Jimmy Butler was. And, and to speak to why they got so little is because like everyone knows Jimmy Butler purposefully tanked his own stock just to get the fuck out of there. I don't know what really was going on. It drives me, I mean, like, it, it kind of makes me crazy thinking about it, that, like, really, you don't like the guys that much because they don't play hard? That's the whole thing? That's why you want to force a trade? That's why you want to get out of here all of a sudden, overnight? Like, it's because the guys don't play hard? That's the whole thing? I feel like there has to be a lot more going on there than we even know. Well, there's more than that. There's more than that. He was offended that they didn't clear out salary. Oh, well, so yeah, they there's could- that, yeah pay him earlier uh they, they could have locked him up in the summer that he was under the impression that they were going to do that or that they owed that to him and they didn't do you think that's and, the real reason like he just started ever since then he well felt I, like I think he like everything it's a it's yeah. i think it's a confluence of factors i think it's true that he didn't like the way the young guys competed in minnesota i think it's true that he didn't think this was the place for him to win long term and i think he was really insulted by um the wolves not doing what they could to to give him that max extension rather than waiting um, for for this coming summer. And you can get into that and whether or not that was ever realistic and if it would have been crazy to move the pieces around and basically sacrifice short term winning to do that. I, I don't I don't know, but that, I think that was his view. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting that you say he he tanked his value. I I would kind of agree with that if I believe that this whole thing honestly started right before training camp, but I don't like, 
I really, from what has been reported, it sounds like he made it extremely clear to Thibodeau after last year's playoffs that he was not staying. Right. And the implication was, I'm not going to resign, so you better trade me. And Thibodeau was like, I'm not trading you. I want to get to the playoffs next year. Like, yeah. even though he knew that that Jimmy had told him, I'm not changing my mind. Thibodeau thought, I think, hubristically, that they could win enough games, have enough success with him, that Butler would have to change his mind. Right. He would he have to otherwise. stay. Right. The and winning would change I don't everything, think... and he would come back, because why, why would you leave that? Right, go ahead. Yeah, and I think that was the mistake. Right. And it, it, it sounds like, from the athletic reporting, that he didn't even take that to Taylor all summer. So Taylor was as blindsided as the rest of us when that report came out that he had requested a trade, but Thibodeau had known for months. Hmm. It sounds like that that Butler did not plan to stay and would like to be moved. And he, and Thibodeau just decided like, no, like we're, we're not going to do that. It's more important to win this year and then we'll deal with everything later. Which just speaks so, to the idea that like Tibbs has to be gone after this year, right? Like he bundled this situation so, so badly. Jimmy Butler just came out the other day and was like, this, this shit has got to stop. He played 41 minutes the other night. And like Tom Thibodeau has learned nothing about time management for his guys in a, in a league that's going the opposite way where you have to give your guys rest. I mean, he's going to, in that respect alone, he's going to love it in Philly because they, they really rest their guys. They switch them out all the time, and they they give them plenty of rest time. So, I think he's going to fit in there. Let's let's talk a lot a little bit about like how do you think the fit's going to going to be in Philadelphia? Do you think that he's going to cause problems here? Do you, can you see this? Because here's what worries me as a Sixers fan. I'm a little bit worried that he wasn't happy in Chicago when he left there. He was clashing with everyone. He wasn't happy in Minnesota. He was clashing with everyone. I'm, I mean, this is obviously the thing that everyone's talking about, but I'm a little bit worried about how he's going to fit in Philadelphia. I worry that, like, Embiid really wants to win. Ben Simmons really wants to win. They're incredibly hard workers. They're top, like, 20 talents in the league, Embiid probably top 10. And that's all great. They really play hard on the court, but Embiid has this other side to him where he likes to roast people on social media. He talks a lot about having fun. You know, he even talks about when he gets... The talk about getting an Andre Drummond's head and owning real estate is just, it's fun to him. He does these things, you know, these things because it's fun. And I'm worried that like the idea of Jimmy Butler coming in here and everything has to be like, you know, professional and everything has to be like, you have to go all the time. Like, is that going to, is that going to cause a problem with personalities? And like, do you see that arising? Uh, I get the chemistry concerns, but I don't have the same exact ones you do. I don't think he and Joel will be a problem at all. I think he will respect the hell out of uh, the way that Embiid plays, uh, the dedication he has to improving and watching film, working out like pre and post practice with assistant coaches. Just like that guy is like an insanely quick learner and a basketball geek in a lot of ways and works his ass off in the summer. He just like I mean, he's playing like an MVP right now because he had like his first healthy summer and really used that to dedicate to like expanding his game like he came in and he he was he's just been so much better at making plays off the dribble he's been so much better uh seeing the court he's been so much better anticipating where double teams are coming from where help is coming from like he's just a way more mature player and that's because he worked his ass off and i i think jimmy's gonna love that i think he'll have fun playing with simmons too um i think their personalities might be a little different um and I'd be a little more worried about that than the Embiid one. 
And then the false thing is the the big question mark, right? Like I think a lot of people are assuming that Jimmy's going to come in and like bully him. I, I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. Uh, but I also don't think he's like the most patient guy in the world. And it, it, it would, it, it is surely something to watch. Um, it's weird. Like long term, I, I don't see any problem with your, that being your big three and then filling out the roster with guys that can shoot and play defense. Like that seems mm-hmm. very workable to me. It is like, I get that Butler isn't like a high volume three point shooter, but it's not like he can't shoot or won't shoot from there. Um, I, I think they needed somebody who could attack the rim, who could get into the paint, who could draw fouls. Like right. they're going to be in the penalty or in the bonus, I should say all the time, like every night, because you can't guard Embiid or Butler without fouling them. Right. Like that, that is going to be really good for them. And Embiid already uh, think, leads the league in free throws this, this season. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And Butler's up there. And right. I think, so then it becomes, all right, well, do they have the proper supporting cast? Maybe not yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does Markel Fultz fit? Without a jumper, he doesn't. Like, right. like frankly, it's it's going to be really difficult. So the, the question is, how can they stagger the minutes that Fultz is still able to be effective uh, a little bit <laughs> this year? <Yeah>. And then <laughs> Effective is a, is a ticky-tacky word there. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, I don't, I think, like, like you've watched most of these Sixers games because you're a Sixers Every fan, right? Every single Sixers game, yes. All right. So, like, You've seen flashes of faults. Like, you've seen him make yeah. progress, correct? Like, yeah, when he's not on the court with Simmons, like, I don't think he's this, like, big trash fire that we have to make fun of and roast on Twitter. Like, no, there have been no, a no, couple no. of I jump wouldn't... shots that have looked horrible. But I, I think he's been mostly fine, except when he shared the court with Simmons. I yeah. just I just think you can't get away with that. Right. Um, can he share the court with Butler? Maybe. But if he's not, again, it's like you have to figure out how you're going to orient your offense because – Butler likes to have the ball and Bede likes to have the ball. Fultz doesn't just like to have it. He needs to have he it. Otherwise, have it. why is he, why is he out there on offense? So that it, it is going to be tricky. And uh, I think their ceiling is really high. Uh, but th- this, it's going to be a real test on the players of how they can learn each other's tendencies and where they like the ball and how they can make each other better. And it's going to be a huge test of the coaching staff. They, they, you remember that article Zach Lowe wrote about them last year about their staggering minutes and how the analytics team basically came with this like detailed plan of like mm-hmm. who needs to play with whom and you're subbing guys in and out after in three minute stretches. They're still doing all that. Right. And now you're basically introducing this like <laughs> this other superstar that you're going to try to stagger and it's going to throw a wrench in all of that because of the fact that he needs the ball. And I, I, I think it'll be really interesting to see uh, how all of that works, who plays with whom, how they experiment, um, whether or not this brings an end to the, the Ben Markell experiment, which, I mean, I was at a, a game a, a week and a half ago, I guess now, um, when versus the when Nets. Brett Brown, yeah. When, yeah. when Brett Brown directly addressed that before the game and said, we're trying to grow those two. We're trying to have it all. We know it, the math shows it's not working, but we want to try it. Now it's like, all right, well, I, if, if the math isn't working, I'm not sure you can still afford to do it because right. you you have this team now that is really built to try to go after a championship and you have this other guy who needs the ball in his hands and you shouldn't necessarily waste possessions with Ben and Markel on the court together. So uh, it's it's fascinating from like a million different angles and I feel like I'm just blabbering at this point. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I like the sound of your voice. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's true. It's, you know, the... It's going to be hard to play the two of them together. It has always been hard to play the two of them together. And now 
having Jimmy Butler here, they are definitely signifying that, hey, we are all in. This is our window. I think Elton Brand actually came out today and said, this is, we have a, you know, we have a couple year window where we have our young guys and we have now Jimmy Butler and we need to get on the court to win some championships. Try and get there. It's not going to be easy. Um, and to have, you know, to bring Markel Fultz along slowly like they've been trying to do it. And you're right. It's not, it's totally not fair to, to blast the kid on social media and make fun of his jumper and stuff. Although when you ask me about, did I see flashes? Yes, I've absolutely seen flashes. Yes, I've seen some progression, particularly on the defensive end. He gets, it's, it's remarkable how many balls he gets his hands on coming off of the rim. He's always in and around the ball under the hoop, which is impressive. And it's, it's, you know, he gets chased down blocks. All those things are good. That's what he really needs to focus on right now because he has no shot. But I'll tell you, man, his jump shot looks disgusting again. Not his jump shot, sorry. His free throws. He's got the worst hitch all of a sudden. Like overnight, he forgot how to shoot a free throw again. I'm just really worried about Mark Helfold's like ever figuring it out. I think he's just, when he shoots and he's in rhythm and he's not thinking, he's fine. He's the same guy everyone thought he was going to be at Washington. He needs to get that shot a little bit more well, consistent, but all right. But there's there's shades of it there. But when he's can I ask you something? It, go ahead. I'm not. He's not. Have that you gone back? It. Have you gone back and watched his like UW highlights at any point in the past like couple months? Yeah. Go on. Have you? Ah, uh, like once or twice. Not many. Not many. I'm just like I'm trying not to. I I kind of don't just because I don't want to torture myself with what could have been. But go on. What's your point? What do you? I, I just when when you say he's kind of looking like that guy, like he's just not, he's just not there yet. He like he well, was I, such a confident player. Yeah, he believed he could get anywhere on the court and score. He like was equally comfortable pulling up for a three, pulling up for a mid range shot, attacking the basket and dunking on you. He he was pretty good at like using the fact that he attracted all this attention to find open shots for other people. Like he was, he was a flat out like dominant offensive player Mm -hmm. and he was supremely in control of his body and control of the ball. He, he like, he looked like a potential superstar. Like that's, I, I, I don't think we should lose sight of that. Like that ceiling is still there in my opinion, but he is not like when I'm like, Oh, there's been progress. I've seen progress, but I've not seen that guy. Yeah. Like just in terms of, of honestly, like regard, like I'm just not talking about the technical stuff with a shot, just the confidence that he had. Yeah. It, it was, it was very different. Well, I should say you see shades of that guy. I misspoke. I'm sorry. Semantics. Anyway, <laughs> like you see shades of that guy. You could see like, Oh my God, that's, that's what they drafted. Is he ever going to like fully realize that? And I just, I'm losing faith quicker and quicker to the point where like, you have to think like they still have to Elton brand now has to fill out the rest of this roster in a way that makes sense for having Jimmy Butler and, Ben Simmons and, and Joel Embiid on the same roster together where you need outside shooting. You can use some more wing depth. You need another like big man, I think. Um, and I just wonder if like the next trade piece is going to be Markel Fultz. Per, per, honestly, maybe personally, I would have rather kept Robert Covington and traded Fultz away. Not that I don't think he has high upside, but man, can you imagine those four guys on the court together? That defense would be insane. Um, right. But do we even know if, if Minnesota no, of course. wanted faults. I mean, they he have didn't want faults. Jeff Teague, Derek Rose, and Tyus Jones on the same team already. Like, right, right. I, I just think, like, I get it. And that, like, I don't even know where I stand. Like, I don't, I don't know if I would have rather traded him than Covington. It's just, I, I don't think there's anyone out there that, that can make a really educated 
uh, sort of argument here because we don't know what he's going to be. Like there's there's just such an enormous variance between like the, the worst case and the best case here. <laughs> like, yeah. So I, I don't know. But I think after like as time goes on, I'm just starting to realize that like I don't. I don't, I mean, I'm hoping I'm wrong. I really, really hope I'm wrong, but I just don't think that player is ever going to return. I don't know what really happened. Yeah, maybe not. He's, he's gotten so far in his own head. There's, there's flashes of it for sure. You see when he looks confident on the court, the other night he had a really beautiful step back jumper and he just, it, it was all net and it was, it was beautiful. I was like, holy shit, there he is. And then just went away. He didn't play in the fourth quarter again. And like, it's, you know, cause obviously, cause Brett Brown can't trust him. But I just wonder, like, if they're in win-now mode, which they really, really are. Like, the, the days of trusting the process are pretty much over, and they're all in. Um, I just wonder how long they're going to be patient with him from this point out, or if they're going to maybe, – maybe if they can get his trade value up a little bit, because I guess it right now it, it's just at an all-time low. There's not much there. I'm not sure anyone's willing to take that on. Um so I don't know. There's a lot of talk about Philly trading Markel Fultz, and he's the next guy to go. If they can, if they could swing a package of Fultz and a couple other things for Bradley Beal, that would be awesome. Don't think that's going to happen, but I think that's wishful thinking on your <laughs> it's part. But wishful thinking. Come on. <laughs> anyway, do you want to talk a little bit about the emotional impact for you? Just as like a, a I know because you're involved with the rights to Ricky Sanchez. You did a whole article on Spike and Mike, and like we're around the whole thing and watched it from afar and from close up. What did you think of Dario and Covington? I just kind of want to like do a quick little uh, what do you what do you call it? Um, a th- a, uh, are you still there? He's, yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I thought I hung up on you for a second. <laughs> uh, a uh, a eulogy, I guess. I don't know. What did you? What did you? That did this? Im- <laughs> they're not dead. <laughs> I know, but um, they're dead to me. They have to be. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's, it's no, they don't. They're going to come back to Philly and they're going to get a huge ovation and it's going to be great. They really um, are. I want to go when they look, come back. I, but yeah, I mean, you're 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 definitely asking the right person here. I mean, I'm I'm not a Sixers fan, but like I I have followed this team pretty closely and I was a like you know intellectual believer in what Hinky was trying to do, mm-hmm. and I think it says something pretty significant that a guy that Hinky took um, using a, a sort of unconventional trade on draft night and then waited to come over uh, in Dario, yeah. plus a guy that he signed from the, the Rio Grande Valley Vipers yeah. and ended up turning into an all NBA first team guy are the two dudes that you just traded for Jimmy Butler. Like it's, it's pretty amazing that, that that was able to happen from that perspective. Um, if I could plug a story I wrote, um, what the, my sort of immediate reaction uh, from the trade on on Saturday was to write a column about like this from a Sixers perspective in terms of long long term what it means, but also in terms of like just bigger picture like what this represented, which I thought wasn't the end of an era. And I sort of I started the article uh, on on CBS Sports with like sort of scene from the rights to Ricky Sanchez live podcast that I, that I went to I did read uh, it, by in the September. Way. Oh, thank you. Um, and then I, and then I called up Seamus Glancy, who's a Sixers writer, uh, who was on stage reading a love poem to Dario that night. And it was very <laughs> nice and sweet. And, uh, and this guy is like, he had, he wanted the Sixers to draft him. Like when he was playing 
in for Ephes. Like he was he was playing overseas and he was sort of blogging about what what they might do and he really fell in love with Sarge's game and like so this is like his his favorite sixer and even he on the day that it happened, like right after it happened, I called him and he was saying it's bittersweet because he thought you have to do that trade every time. But at the same time, like those two guys felt like cornerstones uh, of the team as much as role players can feel like cornerstones from the team. Like right. it, it, you can know intellectually that they are not as important to the success of the team as Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. But sometimes it's those guys you have even more of an emotional connection to that their success has more resonance for you than, than the guys who you sort of knew would be successful, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, as an aside, I think that's why Philadelphia will always love Joel Embiid more than Ben Simmons, uh, even if Simmons ends up having an equal or better career because Embiid was the guy they had to wait for. Embiid was the guy that people criticized the franchise for taking. Embiid was the guy that people said would never, ever be healthy. Uh, and Embiid was the guy that was outwardly proud of what the Sixers were doing, nicknamed himself the process and kept singing the praises of Sam Hinkie, even when it was not a popular thing for him to be doing and something not that something that frankly the organization didn't necessarily want him to be doing. Right. So I, I think absolutely the, those two guys mean a lot to the city of Philadelphia. Um, they, they are, I mean, just in the way that they play, uh, Covington's a guy that takes very little off the table. Uh, he's historically been a three and D guy. Obviously this year, if you've watched the Sixers, like you can see he's very consciously trying to become more than that and trying to put the ball on the floor and get to the basket. But like in general, like he makes his money doing the dirty work of guarding four positions, uh, working his ass off and spacing the floor for his teammates. Essentially, uh, Dario, we already talked about the sacrifice that he made, um, but he is this dude that like has a very unconventional style, uh, came in and it, when they were having sort of a dark season after, uh, Embiid got hurt, almost wins rookie of the year by putting up huge numbers. Uh, people thought, oh, he can't play with Simmons. He actually adjusted really well to that mm -hmm. last year and never, never complained much at all. Uh, really worked to improve his three point shooting so he could play his role. As you said, not very fleet of foot as a defender, but like. I've never watched the Sixers and been like Dario's not trying on defense. I've never had that thought once. Never. Like he never. He plays his ass off on both ends. He competes. He cares. Um, both of those guys, I think, are, are proven to be players that contribute to winning and were a huge part of them winning 52 games last year and looking like a team that like everybody got excited about and said could go to the finals. Like they 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 have they have done it at, at a really high level. And I think they'll always be remembered for for the role that they played. And th this is sort of the tough thing about, like, as I said, I'm not actually a Sixers fan, right. but I, I, I think I understand how Sixers fans think here. Uh, <laughs> you're the one that could speak to this a little better than me because it's more personal to you. But uh, I do think they'll just for the rest of their careers they'll they'll get cheered uh, in Philadelphia and they're the guys that were around at the start. And the one thing that really stuck out to me, just like in the aftermath of that trade was just looking at that roster and looking at how much turnover there's been. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's not just how much turnover has been like since Hinky was there. Um, it's like in the last two years, the roster has been completely yeah. um, turned over yeah. like TJ McConnell 
is the only person that played with Joel Embiid two years ago. Yep. The the year when fucking like when when Malcolm Brogdon won Rookie of the Year over Saric <laughs> and Embiid. Like, which uh, I'm still upset about. The year when. The year when Ben Simmons, everybody thought, oh, he's coming back, he's coming back, and he didn't. Right. Um, like, that entire team is gone. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, you know, there, and there, there's significant turnover from from last year. I think everybody's been, been using the same stat that, like, four of their seven highest minutes players from last year, when they won 52 games, are gone. Yeah. Like, that does not it's, happen it's often. It's crazy. So this is a totally new team, and I think it has a higher ceiling. But it's going to be weird because you get attached to these guys. Totally. I mean, if 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 Joel were gone, that would be like, uh, you know, <laughs> that would be it. I would probably have to root for another team. But it, it really does speak about fandom. Like I, you know, a friend of mine had this conversation a long time ago where he was like, oh, you just root for laundry. You just root for people that are in the city. He's like, I root for the players because watch this guy's going to get traded. And how are you going to feel about it? Well, in this case, like I'm still I am now a Timberwolves fan. I am going to be watching Dario and Robert Covington, like, a lot this year. And I wish the best for those guys. And it's weird because, like, it's it's this small, really oddly, weirdly built community of Sixers fans, primarily because of Liberty Ballers and, and Spike and Mike, you know, writes to Ricky Sanchez. They kind of brought all these people together at a time where, like, they're the craziest fucking fans in the world. They had to have something to root for. So they rooted for losses and they rooted for doing things a different way. And they, and they really rallied together. And those two guys really, really were the, the face of that whole thing. Like you mentioned, Robert Covington came out of the Grand Valley Vipers. And like, I think he won the MVP down there, but you know, snatched him up. Sam Hinkie brought him in and he's just been, he's been great for the Sixers the entire four years he was here. And Dario, there is no, better guy than Dario to typify the exactly what Philadelphia likes to think they are like hardworking <laughs> guy who maybe doesn't have all the talent in the world, but God damn it. They're putting everything out there every time they're on the court and they will never stop and they will give you their all. I'm going to cry thinking about <laughs> these two guys. I really got emotionally attached to them. They felt like friends, you know, and that's, that was the weird thing about this team. Emotionally speaking, when it first happened, I, I was really upset. Not upset, upset, but I, I, you understand that it has to happen in order to move forward and actually challenge for something. But in there, like, does it really matter if you ever win a championship, if you have a, a bunch of guys that you really love and adore and watch their game, you know, like watching their game? I, I, I guess ultimately everything is about the championship, right? But, you know, that's it speaks a lot about how fandom is just you you have to stick with it like things aren't always going to be there for you and you can always follow the players no matter where they go the you know it's not it's not a league where loyalty abounds so i don't know i got lost in my train of thought there but i got all emotional no i get i feel like most sixers fans if you could like somehow like play out both realities at at the same time of keeping this core going into free agency, seeing if you can add to it mm-hmm. and then play out this one as well yeah. and, and see what happens. I think most people would do that, but unfortunately like you there, there's a risk here. You, you, you have to make a choice and it is really hard to get a superstar, uh, in today's, in, in the league ever. I know I was going to say today's NBA. No, like yeah, ever, <laughs> ever. over time, Historically, that, is, yeah. that has always been a difficult thing to do. And I think you, you can't be too picky, uh, especially if it's somebody who plays a position of need uh, specifically for your team. And just in general, like wing stars are like the hardest thing to get, for sure. honestly, oh, yeah. in, in the NBA. 
So, yeah, like, is the fit a little bit weird? Is the timeline a, a little bit off? Yeah. Is there risk? Of course there is. And in the front office, like, their work is only starting, honestly. Like, it, it yes. there are a ton of other teams that are jealous of this big three, but a big three is not enough. You need to have guys that surround them, and the work is not nearly done. And you not only are you living in a world where – the Warriors are perhaps the most talented team that's ever been assembled in the history of the league. You're in an Eastern Conference that is suddenly more competitive than it's been in a long time. Yeah, LeBron's gone, but the Raptors look like a juggernaut. The, the Celtics, despite their struggles, uh, are should be considered a championship contender and specifically for Philadelphia have been a massive problem. Right. And now you have the Bucks that have jumped into the picture. We'll see how real they are. But mm-hmm. I, I just think... It was sort of time to get serious, and the yeah. the only way that I think this looks like a colossal failure is if Jimmy just walks. But I think everybody is sort of under the impression that uh, this doesn't happen if there wasn't a, an understanding that that he's going to stay. For sure, and you know, as as emotional as I am about it, and like, the funny thing is, like any trade that ever happened was always going to include Robert Covington and Dario Sarge. So uh, you know. As time went on and you talked about it earlier, like we started to see that like the guy's kind of maxed out. Dario is a great player and I think he can be better on a team without Ben Simmons um, just because he can take up more of that role of Ben Simmons. If he has a really good coach who knows how to use, you know, utilize his skill set, I think he he can be an all-star. He's he's that talented. He's never going to be a good defender, but neither is James Harden. Um, but it, his fit on this team was becoming increasingly... Uh, awkward especially when he wasn't hitting threes at the beginning of the season and he just felt like you know the way Boston exposed them in the playoffs and every time they play them and the way they match up against Toronto too you know and these are two teams that have so much wing depth that Dario just does not fit that mold and like you knew as you mentioned earlier they were going to have to pay him this offseason or next offseason and and I don't think they were ready to throw the money at him that he was going to command and and Covington hurts more for me. I mean, I love Dario as a personality, but Covington hurts more for me because he is that guy on such a good contract. He's a three and D player. He's the exact guy that everybody wants on their team. He is a fourth or fifth guy on a really, really, really deep team or a really solid contender. Um, So losing him hurts. And, you know, just the idea of losing both of them. And like, as you mentioned, I think it's more the era is gone. That kind of... This is a little sad, but we move on. What do you think the what do you think the the ceiling for them is now? Because as you just mentioned, and I, I wasn't going to point this out too, I think Elton Brand gets a lot of credit for that trade, even though it seems like it was more the owners, Joshua Harris, and and uh, what's the owner's name for um, Blitzer? No, 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 for the T Wolves. Oh, that? Glenn Taylor. Glenn Taylor. Thank you. So Glenn Taylor and I guess Joshua Harris were talking directly about this trade. So I, I think. You know, they made that happen directly. I think Elton Brand for sure was involved in it. I think all the guys in the front office were involved in it. I don't think they did it on their own. None of, none of these things are done by just one person. Yeah. yeah like, And I, th- I think Elton Brand does deserve some credit. But but as you mentioned, now is really going to be the time where like, okay, if that's Elton Brand's first trade and that goes on his record, that's a great trade. But what does he do from here that's really going to fill out this roster? And I think this is the most important thing he's going to ever do. And it's, it is a uh, really early baptism, man. He's he's getting into the thick of it right off the bat. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think it's interesting. Like Shamit, I think is already sort of a a win because he fits with what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Smith could could fit, but yes. the the shot is is the big variable there. Um, obviously, JJ Redick. I mean, I assume he's going back in the starting lineup. Uh, I kind of think Wilson Chandler will probably be in the starting lineup too. Eventually. Although I guess that's 
yeah, up he, in the air. He's um, on a minutes restriction right now because of his hamstring. But yeah, maybe I think eventually he probably will get inserted in that in that starting lineup. Spot. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can still start him and, and play him like half the game, uh, but True. but we'll see. I, I just I, I think they have some guys that complement uh, the three stars. Well, it's not they're not loaded with those guys. Uh, I, I think it's, you know, like TJ is an interesting one because he doesn't space the floor, but he's a good defender and he can get in the paint. I don't I don't know what if, you know, I don't know that they'd want to commit to him, for example, on a new contract. And if they trade him, then that's another yeah. podcast that we'll have to do where, <laughs> where you'll actually be crying. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, TJ too. Jesus Christ. But but I don't think that's unrealistic. No, if you sure. can if you can trade TJ for a, a guy that can space the floor better then with this roster, like I sort of think you have to do that. I'm going to throw it out there, man. I, I hate actually... I hate saying that because I love TJ. Yeah, but. But I just the front office, it, I I really don't think they're done making moves. No, everybody was talking about the Corver thing. I still think that makes sense, uh, but it might not be just one move. Uh, I mean, even last year they added two guys. So yeah. Yeah. if I, I think if they add two sort of similarly skilled guys to what they did last year, like a shooting big and a shooting wing, mm-hmm. then my God, yeah, like they the, the ceiling is higher than it was last year and last year we were very excited about this team but i mean that has yet to happen so i i I don't want to start it's gonna take some creativity i was gonna say for sure i honestly think that tj has more value than faults in a trade right now a lot of people would like love what tj brings to their team um but anyway he's a good player he's he's not like some people just think he's like oh a hustle and energy guy like no like he's a good basketball player yeah um did i ask you what you think their ceiling is how do you think they'll finish in the east now just like as the roster currently stands, if they didn't make any more trades. Uh, I mean, it had, doesn't really change it that I, I mean, third or fourth, which is what I would have said anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they're going to be uh, one of the teams with home court advantage. But I, I, it's, it's just, it's hard to know how everything is going to shake out. Boston has some stuff to figure out. Um, Milwaukee has obviously had an ex- extraordinary start, but we sort of have to see if that's going to stick. Uh, the Raptors have had a great start, but it's been an easier schedule. Um, I, I personally like until they make a couple other moves, I, I have kind of the Raptors and the Celtics as like a tier of their own Milwaukee on the bubble and Philadelphia kind of in that, that same bubble, but not with a system that is as simple it makes as much sense as Milwaukee's. The Bucks, mm-hmm. you know exactly what they do. You, everybody knows like how their bread is buttered. Like Brooke Lopez shot eight for ten from three last night, including <laughs> some from like thirty feet out. Like that's insane. Uh, so, yeah, like there, these other teams uh, are just ahead of where the Sixers are in terms of establishing an identity. Uh, but you know, to the to even the Boston, credit, to as the, much as they're struggling with that, they're ahead of where the Sixers are. So true. we're we're gonna have to see where this goes. I don't I don't really know that like what they do in the regular season matters that much. It's more about are they in a place in the second round of the playoffs where they can match up with whichever one of those other three teams they're gonna play. And right now, I'm sort of iffy on that. Um, because I, I think they have a couple of glaring holes, mm-hmm. but I mean the the star power is is quite something. 
totally. I was going to say, to their credit, they got this done really early in the season where they have the rest of the season, if everyone stays healthy, to kind of work out the kinks. I'm, I'm hopeful. Yeah. And I, I think there's definitely going to be some moves on the margins. They really need to get creative with some moves on the margins. Um, do you want to talk about anything else? Do you have any more time? Or are you set? Uh, yeah, what do you got? Uh, I, just, I don't have like too much more time. No, 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 if it's you fine. want to go fine. another five, ten minutes. Um, maybe five more minutes. Let's talk five more minutes. Uh, so Giannis looks like one of the front runners for MVP since we were just talking about the Bucks, anyways. What do you think his shot is right now? I mean, I watched them play the the Nuggets last night. Jesus, they look good. He's he's just a freak of nature. I hate using that because it sounds really negative. Like I don't like people you know, like calling people a freak, even though his nickname is the Greek Freak. It sounds mm-hmm. really really disparaging, but geez, man, he's like he's incredible. Like some of the, he just he, he drove through the lane and made a and a a dunk like behind his head. I have no idea how he did it. And the next couple plays down, he blocked somebody. It just like it was my head spinning. It was crazy. What do you think of his chances of winning MVP? I mean, right now they're looking really good. Uh, I kind of went back and forth preseason about like him or AD or Leonard. And like, uh, I mean, I guess the Pelicans are struggling right now. So that's not like super likely that AD would get it. But I think he's he'll have the numbers that he'll be in that conversation. It's really early, man. I think like after what, 13 games, the Bucks look incredible. Uh, they're, They're doing it on both ends. Giannis is one of the best offensive players in the league. Obviously, he's also one of the best defensive players mm-hmm. in the league. And I think they're, they've are they completely uh, just revamped their system. Revamped isn't even like a strong enough word. They completely threw out what they were doing on offense and defense last year, installed completely new systems on both ends. Uh, I think you and I were both fairly optimistic about what they look like under Bud, but they have wildly exceeded even my optimistic expectations same coming into the year and it's not look it's not just Giannis like Giannis could win MVP because the Bucks are awesome and he's putting up big numbers but they're not awesome just because of him they're they're awesome because Eric Bledsoe is playing his ass off on defensive uh, defense again Malcolm Mm -hmm. Brogdon is suddenly one of the most efficient players uh in the NBA Brooke Lopez is, is hitting threes from 30 feet, yes. Is hitting threes from fucking 30 feet out. Chris Middleton is having uh, another career year and has traded some long twos for threes, and otherwise his game has stayed exactly the same. Yep. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo is, like, has been immediately... really good, right? Yeah, like, just, like, out of the box, like, a productive wing player. that Like, that yep. is not supposed to be that easy to find in the NBA. Um, John so, Henson gives you some really good backup minutes at center. Like they, they, And he's shooting threes comfortably. Like, yeah. it's weird. It's, it's I, I think it's a huge credit to Bud, but it's also a huge credit for, like, these guys, like, fully and without reservation buying into the game plan before mm-hmm. the season started and trusting it and sticking with it even when they have a bad game or a bad quarter. Not that they've had that many of those, but they've happened and they just, they just keep doing their thing. They know exactly what they need to do to, to do to win. And Giannis knows that nobody can fucking guard him. Yep. Like he just, <laughs> he can get to the room whenever he wants. Uh, he's just, he's incredible to watch. He was incredible to watch before, but to watch him in space, it's obviously so much better. So yeah. Uh, I think basically like we knew coming in, he'd be an MVP candidate. We didn't know how good the bucks were going to be in the bucks right now. Like I, as I said, like it's early. I don't want to start saying they're the favorites to come out of the East because they have like the best point differential or whatever. I don't think that matters that much right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the early returns are like as encouraging as they could possibly be. 
Well, I brought it up for two reasons. A, you're right. We talked about this and we both thought they were going to be really good. We didn't, I don't think I, I didn't expect this either, but B, I also called Giannis for MVP. So I just wanted to throw that out there and make sure you're paying attention. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then you were the only one with that take. I was the only person. You should definitely be bragging. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh, Mm And I, I, I detect a note of sarcasm in your voice. <laughs> I, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, last thing. What is going on with James? Uh, sorry, not James Harden. What is going on with Melo in Houston? Are they kind of cut him? Like, we could talk about it really quickly. It sounds like they're going to cut him. Uh, I was a little skeptical when the report first came out. I was just like, already? Yeah. Uh, obviously, when, when the deal... When they initially signed him, it was like, all right, it's low risk. Like, it's a minimum contract. If it doesn't work, you just cut him loose. But I didn't think they'd be cutting him loose this soon. Yeah. I, I think he is was never really happy with the idea of coming off the bench, but was willing to try it. Um, they Just nothing has really clicked for them so far. And no. I think it what it really sounds like, this is not my original thoughts or reporting, but from what I've read, it sounds like rather than suffering the indignity of losing minutes to Gary Clark. It's like, all right, you're a hall of fame player. You have too much pride to be like an occasional contributor. Uh, this was a tougher mix, a tougher fit than we thought. So we're just going to let you go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's probably best for both sides. Like I'm, I'm really interested in what Mello's thinking on this is, because I would have thought if I were him, I would have tried to stick with it a little more. This this team, despite the slow start, still has a lot of talent and a high ceiling. And if they manage to turn it around and, and you're not there, I just think that would feel really shitty. But look, if he's if he's unhappy and he thinks there's somewhere else he can go, like I, I kind of get it. Um, yeah, but this is and all right. There's... It's been a really bad fit, and and it's not like we couldn't have anticipated the issues. It's just the issues have been magnified by the fact that there were injuries early on. That chemistry has been tougher, probably than we thought, uh, and some stuff that's like beyond Mello's control happened, uh, like James Harden not playing the way he did last year, like not being able to finish at the rim. Like I wouldn't. Have, saw that coming right. uh, but it's weird it's like I'm, I'm gonna write a little bit of, about this for, for my column this week also is like if you look at Gary Clark who I knew very little about <laughs> coming out of college uh, he goes undrafted uh, and you actually watch him play for this team he's like exactly sort of the prototype of like what the Rockets want mm-hmm. like he has no interest in dribbling the ball <laughs> uh <laughs> He he has no interest in like getting the ball in the mid post and backing a guy down. Uh, he is extremely comfortable launching threes as soon as he catches it, uh, even if there's a lot of time on the shot clock. He's just like he's down to catch and shoot whenever. Uh, and then on the defensive end, he's like the main skill, the main reason why he was an attractive NBA prospect for some is that. He plays hard as hell, and he's extremely versatile. He can guard smalls. He can guard bigs. He he's like pretty good at anticipating when to switch and communicating with his teammates, and like all this stuff that like just is not Carmelo Anthony. Right. And they they just frankly they need a guy like him more than they need a guy like Melo. So I don't fault D'Antoni for wanting to like give the minutes to Gary Clark while the team is struggling and trying to get its shit together. And it's just awkward. It's just awkward for everybody involved. Uh. 
there was a time when I was a little when I was optimistic about the mellow fit. I do wonder if he could have fit had they kept one of Trevor Ariza at uh, Mbamute, Mute, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. maybe there there would have been a way for that to work, but to to lose both of them and add him, it's just it's it's obviously been extremely rough. Well, I'll say this: like it is as everyone has been saying, or as D'Antoni has come out and said, or or Daryl Morey has come out and said, it's really unfair to blame all of their problems on Carmelo Anthony. That's obviously not the problem. They are having problems shooting. They're having problems with a lot of stuff. He's not the reason, but he is one of the. When he's sixth in offense, yeah, like he's what he, the hell? He's not the problem, but he is one of the problems. And the thing is, like he, the, the problem with Melo is that he's not able or willing to change his mindset about who he is as a player or who he is on the court and, you know, or what role he should fill. And that's, but I think he's tried. I think he tried in OKC and I think he's tried here. I think he's, he's done what he could to be like, this is a smaller role. I'm not going to get to ISO that much. Like I'm going to basically try to be a stretch four. I, I think he's given it an honest effort. I just, maybe it's just not him. Could be. That's fair. Um, anyway, enough of that. <laughs> James, thank you for coming on the super flight. I know you got to get out of here. Why don't you plug your, uh, writing again one more time and everybody go check out the, the Sixers. What did you say about Markel Fultz? Did you call him a wow, something elephant in the room? The Mark elephant in the room. Mark elephant. That was it. Yes. I, I wasn't calling him I was the, right. the situation was the Mark elephant well, in the room. You don't give it um, away and make people go read it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wrote that. Um, I also wrote a profile of Ron Adams, an assistant coach for the Warriors, uh, last week that is just one of the most interesting people in, in the NBA to me and just uh, sort of a beloved figure. And I wanted to write a profile of him for a long time. And uh, yeah, so I did that last week. I got a couple other things uh, in the works uh, for this week. I don't know. If, is this running Tuesday? Uh, yeah, probably run tomorrow. All right. Well, then... Today, Tuesday, I, there's a, a Q&A with Aaron Gordon that uh, should be on CBS at some point. And uh, then I'll have a column the next day on Wednesday. Awesome. All right, James, I'll let you go. Thank you for coming on. I'm going to pause this. James Herbert, everyone. Go check him out on CBS Sports. And that's going to do it for me for the week. I will talk to you next week. Bye-bye.